Welcome, and thank you for joining us for the City Baptist Church Podcast. We would love to have you join us for a service in person. You can find all the information you need on our website at citybaptist.church. I want to invite you to take your Bibles with me. Let's go to the book of 1 Peter today. 1 Peter chapter number 1 is where we're going to be as we continue our study through the book together, verse by verse. It's been fun to uh, work through it. I know it's been a few weeks since we've been in our study, uh, but I believe we'll pick it up pretty quickly as we continue today. It's good to see each and every one of you. I don't know about you, but when I saw that video there and it talked about the change, did you see that? It said things changing. All I could think of was time change. So I want to remind all of you, it's coming, it's coming. Although that's the good one, right? Fall back, isn't that when we get an extra hour of sleep? So never mind, we're all good. I'm ready to embrace that change. Looking forward to it. Anyway, <laughs> we're in First Peter this morning, and uh, I, I'm just uh, excited to be able to share with you what God has taught me this week through this passage. Honestly, it's been a real encouragement to me, and I hope that it'll be a blessing to you this morning. But First Peter, of course, we recognize, I want to remind us just at the very outset of the message today that Peter, when he was writing it, of course, he had a purpose behind writing this letter. I mean, every, obviously, we know that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, right? And it's profitable for all things. But certainly the authors, when they had it in mind to write to us, they had a purpose in mind. They had something that they were trying to accomplish. And that's what Peter was doing as he wrote to these scattered believers. If you remember that back in verse number uh, one, right at the very beginning, he talks about these strangers that are scattered. Later in chapter two and verse nine, he's going to call them pilgrims and strangers. And that's the title of our series is that we as believers today living on this earth, this world is not our final home. We are pilgrims. We are strangers. We are in the world, but not of the world. And we live our lives expectant of something that is greater to come. And so he's writing to these believers, and you got to remember, many of them were Jews from Jerusalem that had been scattered during the dispersion. Others of them, of course, were Gentiles that had become Christians during this time. They were scattered. They were uh, struggling. They were under persecution. They were going through so many different challenges, and Peter here is writing to them, and he wants to encourage them that they have a living hope. If you remember that, we preached that last time together, that we all have a living hope. His name is Jesus. Uh, He died on the cross for our sins. Of course, we recognize that, but he did rise again, proving to to us that he was in fact God. And so he's writing to these people that are under persecution, that are struggling, that are in difficult situations. And he says, you have a living hope that goes far beyond this broke world that we live in. Our living hope goes so much further and it, in, it encapsulates eternal salvation through the source of salvation, who is Jesus Christ. Now, this is the message that Peter emphasizes right at the very beginning. We've only covered five verses, and he's already put that out there for us, that listen, we have a living hope that can give us hope beyond the world that we are in today. And this is a truth that he has emphasized, and I gotta tell you, it is a truth that each of us need to emphasize because it is something that is given to us through our adoption, through the resurrection. And we need to remember, church family, that we have a living hope. That needs to be something that we hold very high and very dear in each of our lives, that listen, I have a living hope beyond all this mess that I'm living in right now, that helps us to live confidently. It helps us to live uh, righteously as we live and work and serve as these set-apart strangers and pilgrims in this planet that we call our, uh, our temporary home. And this is the substance, okay? So here's, here's why I'm opening like this. That is the substance, the living hope. This is the substance behind what Peter is about to say as we come to 1 Peter chapter 6. And verse uh, number one, right there at the very beginning. Look what he says there at the very beginning. He says, wherein ye 
greatly rejoice. You see that there? He says, wherein ye greatly rejoice. What is he trying to get across to us here? Why is it that he would say that we can rejoice? Well, he's saying it because of the promise of our inheritance in heaven. That's what he's saying to us. You know, you ever have somebody say to you, why in the world would you say that? You ever have someone say that? <laughs> That's what I thought. When Peter, because uh, understanding where we're going next, just in a moment, you'll see. But understand where we're going next. And he says, rejoice. Well, why would you say that, Peter? Here's why. Because of our hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And so because of that, each of us as believers can experience. Now, you may not be experiencing this now, but you can experience a deep spiritual sense of joy. And the reason is, is because we know what our future is. We know what our future is. And the joy of the Christian life is the knowledge of our future with God. Listen, you need to get that. Peter's saying we can rejoice, and that is something that we can live in this joy because we know the future. Not in a weird, mystical, glass ball kind of way, you know? But we do know one thing. We know what the word tells us, and that is there is something far greater coming. We are going to a perfect kingdom with a perfect king, amen? And that's, gonna, that's our future, and we can look forward to that. And I tell you what, this world makes me look forward to that more and more, <laughs> definitely. And so he says here, you can have a joy. And this joy, like I'm talking about, is this knowledge. And, and because we know the future, we look at life differently. Let me explain it to you this way. Have you ever maybe bought somebody a present and you were just so excited about it that it affected you for like weeks and weeks and weeks? I remember a few years ago, I had planned this, this secret getaway with Jeanette my wife, <laughs> and uh, in case you're wondering, uh, with Jeanette, my wife, and I had planned this secret getaway, and I, I got childcare, which that's a huge deal. If I just get a babysitter, I'm the best husband in the world, right? But I had a, a childcare for a couple of days. I had, uh, I had everything planned out, and I had this. Now, I, I will say this. The way that I told her about the trip was probably not the best, but I thought it was really funny. So what I did is on a Sunday, you remember this? And, uh, and I, I, what I did purposely is I knew she was in the kitchen, so I, uh, she was doing something. So I went into the room, and I got a suitcase out, and I set it on the bed, and I waited till she came in the room, and I was, like, putting stuff in a suitcase. Now, if you've ever watched any movie, you know that's a problem, right? <laughs> She's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm leaving. <laughs> now, if you know our past history of dating, you would know that I sometimes did stuff like this, occasionally, you know? And so, and so I'm like, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm, I'm out of here, I'm moving, I'm, you know, I didn't, I didn't say all of those things. I said, I'm leaving. And she was like, what, what are you talking about? I said, well, you and I are going on a trip together. So anyway, then it all worked out, you know, it all worked out really great. But I remember I had planned this thing for weeks and weeks and weeks. And, uh, and up until that point, I just, I wanted to tell her so bad. Like right now, because of shortages, you guys know, we are buying Christmas presents right now. I mean, this first time in my life, I'm buying Christmas presents for my kids in October, so I want to make sure that, you know, whatever it is that I'm going to buy them that's going to break after Christmas Day, I want to make sure I have it here in time. And so, uh, and, and so you know, we're doing this, and, and already some of it has arrived at home, and I'm like, you know, I want to tell them, right? Why? Because it's, it's something in me that I'm excited about telling my kids about. I, w I can't wait to give it to them. And it affects my mood towards them even. It's kind of funny. Even if they're like misbehaving, which happens sometimes at our house, I still want to give them the gift because I, I'm excited about it. I, I got to wait till Christmas though. So here's the thing. The joy of our future knowledge that Jesus is coming again, the fact that we have a home outside of this world is kind of like that idea of a secret that we have as believers that motivates us. It, it helps us to continue on and to live with joy even in the struggles of this world that we are in. 
And that's what a confidence of heaven can do for us. It can get our eyes off of ourselves. It can get our eyes off of the struggles of life and the difficulties and make Jesus Christ our focus, which is the ultimate goal of the believer, that we be glorifying him. That means we make him and place him above all other things. And that is one of the reasons that Peter is writing to us. But here's the other thing I want us to get this morning. The other reason that Peter is saying to us, you can have joy, is because of what he's going to tell us next here. Now, here's something that's interesting about Peter. He wants us to be realists. You know what I mean by that? He wants us to be firmly grounded in reality. How many of you love (laughs) when your life is firmly grounded in reality? (laughs) I love that. That's a good thing. I don't like it when I don't really know what's going on. I want to know, okay, this is the reality of life. This is the reality of what's happening here. And so Peter wants us to be realists when it comes to life. And so that's why he tells us here in a moment That life as a stranger and a pilgrim is not just full of easy living. You guys remember that old song from the 80s, I think? Take it easy. You know that one? Yeah. Yeah, I watched it on YouTube. It's kind of weird. Yeah. I was like, man, that's an old music video. (laughs) (laughs) But that song, you know, you hear it, and and that's what we want in life, right? We just want to take it easy all the time. But listen, as a pilgrim and a stranger in this world, life is not going to be easy. And Peter wants us to know that because he wants us to be realists. Sometimes we get the misunderstanding that because we're Christians, because we know the Lord, that everything's just supposed to be smooth. That it's just supposed to be easy. No curves, no hiccups, no bumps. That we're going to have some sort of like out of this world understanding of when things come so we can avoid them, right? Like, God, why don't you keep us from trouble? God, why didn't you tell me this was coming? Why don't you help me avoid this thing, God? But that's just not the reality of the Christian life. The reality of the Christian life is that we live in a difficult place. We are surrounded by sorrow. That's why in verse number six, he continues. He says, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, he says, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. If I were you, I would underline the word heaviness there for a moment. If you'd like to do that in your Bible or write it in your notes. We are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Now, he opened this letter talking about the unchanging hope, and the reason is because we need it. (laughs) Because there are seasons of life that bring heaviness to us that are difficult, and they are full. What we see here in the verse is translated as manifold temptations. Now, I want to define these words for us because these are words that we need to make sure we know what he is talking about. And so the word manifold uh, here is the Greek word poikilos, which means diverse or various sorts. So it means a, vari- a varying amount. And then the word temptation here, it means literally an experiment, an attempt, uh, a trial or a proving. Now I'm going to hold on to that word trial there because that's really a, a very accurate description of what he's talking about. And we'll see that in context going into the next verses here. So he says that life is heavy And it's because there are various trials. There are a a diverse amount of trials that are happening. In all seasons of life, there are difficulties that bring heaviness to us, experiences that we face living in a godless society. So put it very simply this morning, point number one, trials are a part of our Christian faith. So let's just write that down there in your notes. You're probably way ahead of me on that already, but trials are a part of our Christian faith. 
faith. Now, the context of this passage, of course, we know, is that the believers that he is speaking to in the five Roman provinces that he mentions in verse 1 and 2 is that there are people who are facing difficulties. And I want us to know, this was not because of some economic downturn in the Roman uh, government at that time. That's not the trial he's talking about. It's not because uh, there was anti-Semitism throughout the Roman Empire, which there was definitely all throughout the Roman Empire. The reason he's speaking to them is saying, you are going through trials is because of their faith. Does that make sense? Because they are people who are renewed in the spirit of their mind. They are people that are living as strangers and pilgrims and different, peculiar people, as Scripture says. They are living differently in a pagan society. And so because of that, it brought about into their lives trials because of their faith. In other words, what he's trying to say is that there are general problems that will arise in your life because you are a believer surrounded by unbelievers. Now, there might be some of you today that say, well, I'm, that's not my lived experience. I haven't experienced any sort of uh, uh, persecution, as you might say. And that's true today. Honestly, we don't suffer much pointed persecution. Sure, we could say that behind the scenes, the government and the media and big tech and the news, they're all coming together and they're trying to silence Christian voices and we can connect all the... You ever done that? Maybe some of you in your house, you know, you have three by five cards with pins in them and yarn, you know, connecting all the dots and you've got it all figured out. They're trying to silence us. And that may be true. I'll say this. Satan is always trying to silence God's people. We know that. Okay. But as right now, you know, there's not a news report on a CBC, you know, today we killed 17 Christians. Woo. You know, everybody's excited. There's not this pointed persecution going after us, imprisonment, all of that. We will face that and it's coming and we know that. But for right now, I think you understand that as believers, most of the things that we suffer as a result of being a Christian are maybe more subtle. Being marginalized in our workplace, being ghosted by our friends, you know, maybe you've experienced that. Uh, Being silenced or separated from other people because we have an open Christian faith. Uh, Maybe some of you have experienced that in your own life. You've had friends of yours that were friends maybe since high school. And you've known them for a long time, and when you came to Christ and you got to know him as your personal Lord and Savior, uh, that it radically changed that relationship all of a sudden. And you're like, what happened? And of course, they're like, well, you happened. (laughs) This is because of you. This is the change. And so we've experienced some of those difficulties and struggles uh, because of that. But even more, all of us suffer trials because of the effects of sin, right? We suffer difficulty because of the unbelief or through the actions of those that are without Christ. We suffer difficulty because of the actions of Christians who are not walking in righteousness. And it's hard, and it's difficult, and it's a part of the Christian life. And what he's trying to say is don't be ignorant of that fact. Have a clear-headed understanding that there are difficulties. And if you're a new Christian here, and i got to tell you, I'm so excited about the four people that have accepted Christ over the last few weeks here at City Baptist. And praise God for that. And we need to be thankful. Next week, baptism. We're baptizing six or seven next week. That's a blessing. But I got to tell you, if you're a new Christian today, trouble's coming. (laughs) I know some of you thought, man, this is my get out of jail free card, right? I'm going to get saved and everything's just going to be perfect. Stephanie, remember that? When you got saved a few years ago. And then it was like, oh, wait, there's still still difficulties. (laughs) But we handle those difficulties differently, don't we? We face them way differently than the world does. So Peter here describes these trials to us. And I want to go through them just quickly so that we understand what he's talking about. He says that there are trials that come our way, and he says that they are various. Here's what we need to understand, is that just because you walk through a difficult season of life, and maybe you see great victory in that area of your life, it doesn't mean that you're going to have victory in every other area of your life. Some of you do a great job 
at defeating uh, the temptations of lust and of sexual sin that we see in our, in our, uh, in our society today. And, and you have great victory in that, and praise God for that. But boy, your anger is a real, okay, it's trouble. Never be so deceived as to think that if you figure out one area of life or you walk through a certain difficulty, that suddenly you're going to have victory in all areas. There's various things that come along. And God matches the trial with our strengths and our needs sometimes. We also know that our trials are not easy. We saw that word there, heaviness. Our trials produce heaviness. The word means to experience grief or pain. Get this. It is the same word that was used to describe our Lord as he suffered in Gethsemane in Matthew 26. It's the same word that was used in 1 Thessalonians that talks about the sorrow of saints over the death of a loved one. And so to deny that our trials are not painful is to make them even worse, isn't it? Have you ever done that in your life? You're going through a difficulty and you're like, it's going to be okay. You know, it's not. It's tough. It's a struggle. And so we must accept the fact as believers that there are difficult experiences in life. And don't just put on a brave front just to appear more spiritual. We need to be aware of that, that we don't just say like, oh yeah, I got this. I totally got this. Okay? Don't be fronting like that, as we used to say when we were in East Van, right? Don't be fronting like that. It's, it's, it's tough, isn't it? And that's okay. There is a heaviness to it. But I also want you to see how he said in the verse here that our trials are controlled by God. You say, where do you see that? Because it says that it's for a season. You notice that? It's for a season. They are not going to last forever. It is just for a time, which means God is in control. We've got to remember that God's in control of all aspects of our life. One author said it this way. He said, when God permits his children to go through the furnace, he keeps his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. I thought that was great. He says, if we rebel, he may have to reset the clock. But if we submit, he will not permit us to suffer one minute too long. The important, the overriding theme that we need to understand about this first thought here is that there are unavoidable trials and difficulties and suffering here in this life. And these things are not in here to make us pay or God getting back at us for some sort of a sin. God is not a vengeful God where it's like, oh, you did this. Some of you struggle with that, you know, like you have a lustful thought and then you have a flat tire. It's like, oh, totally connected, you know? And God is not like that up there just zapping everybody, you know, every Christian that, that falls astray. He's not vengeful in that way. But they're just part of living in a broken world with sinful people, and they serve a purpose. Now, here's what we're going to get to the bulk of the message today. The trials that come our way that are various and heavy and difficult, they serve a purpose in the life of a Christian. And that's the lesson that Peter wants us to understand as we come to our second point this morning, which is trials prove our faith. Now, this is the big thing today. I think you all agree. Yes, yes, yes. There are trials. We get that. This is the bulk of the message. This is what you need to hear. This is what I needed to hear today is that the trials that we go through prove our faith. Look at verse number seven with me. He says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, this is a very, very powerful verse, church, and I want you to know that this is something that can sustain you through some of the darkest seasons of the Christian life because it teaches us a lot about who God is. Remember, the word is all about who God is. It is revealing God to us. And that's what we need to know. We need to know who God is. Sometimes people say, I want to know who God is. Well, you need to go to his word, and that's how you know. 
And this verse here in particular teaches us something great about God. Because like so many Christians from all of the ages, for all of the thousands of years, we have asked ourselves, why is the Christian life not easy? We've asked ourselves, why doesn't God just take away all our pain and suffering when we're born again? Maybe some of you have asked the question, if God really loves me, why would he allow this terrible sickness, this pain, this loss, this suffering that is happening to us? Well, there's two reasons that we see here in this passage And these, I believe, can be very helpful to us. First of all, a believer's faith must be proven. Okay, A believer's faith must be proven. We must keep in mind that everything that God plans and everything that God allows and everything that is performed on this earth is preparation for what God has in store for us in heaven. And so when God allows our faith to be tried, to be proven, he is accomplishing something that we are unable to do on our own, and that is this, prove the genuineness of our faith. You know, Lindelof, I was to come to you and and, and say to you, prove to me right now that you are a true Christian. What would you say? Okay, so she's like, (laughs) you know. Well, I hope she would say it was because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. She'd get there eventually. But even then, even if you gave me the right answers, you would say, this is, I could still say, well, just prove it to me. Levitate. No, you know, (laughs) do something. Prove to me that you are genuine in your belief. You're not just pretending to me. And that's, not, that's something that all of us, we can't really do, honestly. We can't really prove necessarily the genuineness of our faith. But I'll tell you what, God can prove it for us. And here's what we see in this passage. He uses the word here, trial, which means to prove, to attest, and to strengthen. And he uses the example here of how gold is purified. Now, we sang just a moment ago, purify my heart. Let me be as what? Gold, pure gold. Remember that song? By the way, we didn't talk before he picked the song, just so you know. I told him during the warm-up, I was like, hey, that's a perfect song for what we're going to talk about today. And so we're going to talk about gold for a minute, because that's, that's what he mentions here in this verse. Now, you guys maybe understand the, the process of how uh, gold is purified, especially in ancient days. They would melt down the gold. They would melt it down, and of course, they would skim off, Scripture calls it dross, or they would skim off the impurities, they would use a scoop or something, and they would just take it off the top as it melted, and the, purific- or the, the impurities would either go to the bottom or come to the top, and they would clean it off, and they would heat it again, and they would just keep doing that until they had that pure gold that they were desiring. Now, in the same way, what he's trying to get across to us is that our trials and our persecutions and our difficulties enable the Spirit of God to do something special in our hearts, and this is what he does. He purifies and makes our hearts and our faith far more, infinitely more precious than this gold here that he mentions. And what he's trying to get across to us here is that as we go through difficulties, as we go through trials, it proves, it reveals, it purifies our faith in a way that we cannot do ourselves. It is something that only God can do and only God can teach us What he's trying to say is that the trials you are going through are not by chance. They're not by chance. God, who is in control of all things, he knows and he allows these things to happen. He he is uh, walking with you right now and he is testing your faith to prove to yourself and to prove to this world that your faith is to yourself and to prove genuine. To prove that it is genuine. Listen, faith is a spiritual commodity that is infinitely more precious than just gold. In 2 Peter, later on, Peter talks about the fact that the elements of this world are going to melt with a fervent heat in the day of judgment. Remember that? 
One day, even the purest of gold is going to be destroyed. But our faith that is purified and, and cleansed and proven will bring its own reward. Somebody once said that a faith that has not been tested cannot be trusted. I think that's such a great thought. Sounds a lot to me like James chapter one, verses two through four, where it says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse, as varying temptations. Same, same word, trials, uh, uh, proving. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire. That means mature and complete, wanting nothing. See, the purpose of our trials is to prove, it is to purify our faith. And the person who goes through a trial and then abandons their faith when difficulty comes their way is simply proving to us that they have no faith at all. But the person that endures, the person that continues on, that continues to walk in faith, that walks through difficulty with joy is revealing to themselves and revealing to the world that their faith is genuine. I often say to people, if they, if they feel like, man, I'm kind of doubting my salvation, I'm, I'm struggling, what I'll often do is let's talk about a difficulty in your life and how did you go through that difficulty? Because often the difficulty, say, well, I prayed and I trusted Christ and man, I, I, I drew clo- closer to God and I spent so much time in prayer and in his word and it was revealed to me, okay, that's a proof right there of your faith. Proof of your faith. Now, these days, there's a lot of talk about the idea of deconstructing our faith. Just for the last several years, a couple of famous people like Josh Harris and some other uh, worship leaders and even some pastors have gone into this process of what they call deconstructing their faith. Just this last week, uh, and maybe you're hearing about it for the first time, just this last week, somebody that I know that went to the same uh, Bible college that I went to uh, announced to the world on social media that he has deconstructed his faith, meaning basically what it means is I'm no longer a believer in Jesus Christ. Other uh, people that I went to college with uh, in, in university and stuff, or in Bible college even, in Christian college, they're no longer believers, and they've gone through this process of deconstruction of their faith. Now, there are some people who've tried to kind of take the idea of deconstruction and make it a good thing. I understand that. Uh, there's a whole other line of thought on it, but these people in particular, their idea of deconstruction is I'm taking it apart and, and destroying it into rubble, basically, so it doesn't exist anymore. And just this week, like I said, I, I've experienced somebody else that I know go through this process. But here's the thing. These people haven't deconstructed their faith. They never had faith. I think that's what we need to understand. Not decon- you, you don't lose your faith. You never have your faith. And in this case in particular of this person that I know, one of the main reasons that he has deconstructed his faith is because recently he was confronted with the reality of sin. Not his own sin that I'm aware of, but the sin of another Christian that he looked up to. A very open, a very public sin of a Christian leader that he knew. And he had maybe already been in that path and already on that mindset already, but that was something that certainly triggered and led uh, to this point of him now walking away from it. But the point I want to get across to us is that Yes, there is sin, and yes, it is everywhere, and yes, people will let you down, certainly, but the fact still remains is your faith, if it is real, can endure even the sin of somebody else, somebody else falling away. And though it was a great trial and a difficulty and a sorrow in his life, his faith continued, uh, your faith should continue on. Now, there's times that our faith is weak, isn't it? Remember the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, increase our faith, Man, their faith wasn't enough. And Jesus spoke to them about that. And there are times that our faith is weak, certainly. But I would say this, a true faith will persevere through the trial. 
It will cause you to draw closer to God, to get right with God, to get right with others, which in turn proves the fact alone and emphasizes the genuineness of your faith. That's why Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 8, he says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. You see that? Man, he said, there's trouble on every side. I'm perplexed. I don't know what's going on, but I'm still able to continue on. In Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 2, he says, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that the tribulation worketh Patience. Patience means hopeful endurance. Here's what he's trying to say is that the trouble that we're in, the difficulties that we're in, it develops within us. It doesn't remove our faith, but it strengthens our faith. It purifies our faith. It brings us closer to God. How many of you have gone through a loss and a struggle and it's brought you closer to the Lord? Man, what a blessing that is. I struggle sometimes when people are going through just a hard time and so they decide to remove themselves from the Lord. And they go through a, a loss or a struggle or a difficulty or some sort of a relational issue or whatever, and so they decide to withdraw from the things of God. That's not helpful at all, is it? We should draw close to him because what does that do? It reveals us. It takes our eyes off of, off of ourselves and puts them on Christ. And we need to remember that, man, those trials bring us to him. And a believer's faith must be proven, and God proves your faith through your, tri- through your trials, through your difficulties. Secondly, under this thought, a proven faith leads to praise, honor, and glory. Now, this is a great thing that we need to look at. Back here in verse number seven, at the end, he says, uh, being much more precious than of gold, the trial of your faith, uh, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, here's what he says at the end, it might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. See, the end result of a faith that is being tried is to show forth the praise and honor and glory of Jesus Christ, first of all. The trial of your faith reveals God to yourself and reveals God to other people. But here's one thing I want you to notice as well. It also reveals the praise and the honor and the glory of the believer as well. Here's what we know what scripture teaches us. When Christ returns to this earth and we are given uh, the new, new bodies and we are renewed in Christ, Jesus, of course, we know is going to be exalted higher than the heavens themselves, right? We understand that. He will be exalted. He will be seen, and all of the universe will recognize his honor and his glory. But the second thing we know about Scripture and about that whole event is that we are going to be exalted higher than we could ever expect as well. This is an amazing thing to to consider. Jesus Christ will be magnified, and he will be at the right hand of the Father, but we, the saved, will also be magnified along with him. Romans chapter 8 and verse 17, it says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Now, you maybe know that, uh, know that word, joint heir. What does it mean to be a share in the heritage, share in the inheritance? You guys understand the word heir, you know, somebody who is going to receive an inheritance. It says here that we are joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified. Say that word with me. Together. Think about it. Glorified together with Jesus, his saints. And that's, pretty, that's actually pretty awesome, if you just think about it for a minute. That's pretty amazing, because we do not deserve to be glorified, do we? We do not deserve to be placed in that area. But one of the reasons that God allows us to suffer trials and temptations on this earth is to make us purer and stronger, but to better prepare us for the honor and the glory of heaven. Because the more that we suffer on this earth, the more that we ache, the more that we sorrow, 
the more that we long for heaven. The more that we long for heaven. I know many of you have been praying for my friend and a friend of our church, Pastor Dennis Fountain, and uh, unfortunately hasn't been up to preach. He usually preaches once or twice a year for us from Washington State. Uh, but many of you know his, his dad, who was a pastor for some 40 years, just recently passed away from cancer, and they had a funeral on Friday, and Jeanette and I were able to watch the live stream of that, and it was amazing. I mean, some like 400 people came from all over the, the, the country, came, and just story after story after story of his impact in their lives. I mean, it was really, really encouraging. And I know through that whole process, it's been difficult for Dennis, but he's always said, man, I just can't wait till heaven. I can't wait to heaven to be with my dad again and, and to experience that. But then on Friday this week, he texted me and then called me later on, and his sister's husband died suddenly from a heart attack within a week. He's just in her, in her 40s and just unexpected, seven children, and uh, he just died suddenly. And so they jumped on a plane and flew to where she lives, and they've been there uh, trying to care for her and get things sorted out there. When he called me on, I think, Friday night, I talked to him for quite a while on Friday night. He was driving uh, from the airport where he was, and he told me this. He said, since June, he has had 15 people in his life die, since June. He himself has done nine funerals. He said he's had 17 what he calls crises that he's had to be involved in and to help other people with. He's a chaplain for their local police department and I know they had, uh, I believe they had a child drown and like all of these difficult, difficult situations that he's been involved in. And he said to me that he said, man, he said, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. And, uh, and yet he said this, he said, with all of this that's happening, one of the things that I know has been in his heart. And he said to me is that man, just heaven is just looking better all the time. Heaven is looking better all of the time. Why is that? Because he's putting things into perspective. He recognizes that the trials and the difficulties and the loss of this life are but for a season. Paul put our challenges in perspective in 2 Corinthians 4.17, where he said, for our light affliction. We say, you don't know what I'm going through. <laughs> he knows. You want to you compare persecutions? Let's get the Apostle Paul up here. I'm sure he could compare a few things that he's been through versus what we've been through. And he calls them a light affliction which is but for a moment, it worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. See, the expected trials of life serve a great purpose. They prove our faith. They prepare us for the glories of heaven. So the question is for us today, how are you looking at the difficulties that you're going through right now? Are you right now angry with God? Are you struggling in your faith? I want to encourage you this morning to look at the current trials that you are going through from God's perspective today. I want you to think about the Lord for a moment. Think how loving it is that God uses our trials and he uses the natural difficulties of a fallen world to draw us to himself. How loving is it that God doesn't just say, well, Adam and Eve kind of messed it up for you guys, so just deal with it. That's what we say to our kids, right? When our kids disobey or do something wrong, and then there's a consequence for that, you know? It's like, uh, I forget who it was who, like, left $10 on the counter of a, you know, a grocery store. One of our kids did, you know, and, and uh, 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 Max, you know, uh, uh, kind of made a bet with his mom the other day, and he lost, he lost badly, so he lost $5. You know, it's friendly betting between family members. I think it's okay, right? Anyway, you guys know what I mean. <laughs> he was so sure. He was so sure, wasn't he, Maximus? He was so sure of that. Anyway, but when that happens, what do we say? Like, well, sorry, buddy. You know, like, you got to live with the consequence. You're out five bucks. 
you, you told your mom that you knew, you know, better than she did, and, uh, and you didn't. So there you go, you know, and we say, well, too bad. Aren't you thankful God doesn't do that with us? And this, I went through this difficulty at work. I went through this challenge with a family member. I went through this, this hardship, you know, doing this. God isn't just like, well, too bad. It's the fallen world. Man, it stinks. No, he says, get closer to me. Come to me. I'm going to give you rest for your soul. I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to help you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to prove your faith to you in this trial. How loving is that? Man, that's loving. That is a loving God. He doesn't just leave us to the destruction of this world. He gives us something far greater. And the trials, the temptations, and the difficulties of life are not to defeat or to discourage us. Instead, we can overcome them. They become for us stepping stones to a stronger and a more complete faith in Jesus Christ. I want to just finish up real quickly, point number three today, that our trials are answered by faith. You say, well, how do I get through this? How do I get through the struggle that I'm going through right now? How do I get through the trial that I am in? We see the answers here in verses eight through nine, where he says, whom have not seen ye love. In whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now, Peter had known Jesus Christ personally, didn't he? That's amazing to think about. And he would have been thinking about his interactions with Christ. And Peter had talked with God. He had uh, traveled with him. He had questioned him. He had denied him. And then he had professed faith in him. I mean, Peter knew Jesus, and he understood that the people that were reading and us today, he knew that we would not know Jesus face-to-face. We would not uh, see him in that, that personal way. And so he commends their love for Christ, even though they had never seen him. It's like Jesus to Thomas. He commended uh, or he challenged his faith, even though he had not seen. But this group here, even though they could not see him, they still put their trust in him. And for us today, we have not seen Jesus. We have not walked hand in hand. We have not listened and sat at his feet as he taught us, but we still trust in him, don't we? We still believe him. And so he's being, we're being commended here and, and, and encouraged in that way. But one day, we will see him face to face. And one day, we will be rewarded for our faith. But until then, what do we do? We live in these things that are mentioned in this verse I kind of just highlighted them in my own Bible. Having not seen, ye love. You see him not, but you believe. You see that there? You rejoice then. Why? Even the salvation of our souls. Here's the point. Our love for Christ is what gives us the strength to continue. Our love for Christ. So that even when the trial comes our way, our love overcomes the struggle that we're going through internally. Now, we understand this on a family level, don't we? You know, we, we, have, we all have family di- difficulties, don't we, right? We all have family members. I hope most of you do. You might be alone. alone you might be all alone right now. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm your family. I'm here for you. <laughs> but we know what it's like, right? But when you have a marriage issue and you and your wife are having a discussion and maybe you're not seeing eye to eye on a direction, what overcomes that disagreement? Love. <laughs> it should, Right? Love is what overcomes it. When your children disappoint you, what overcomes that? Your love for your child. When a family member uh, and you have a struggle and a difficulty, what overcomes that? Well, love is what allows you to work through it, right? True love. It's love. And the same thing with Christ. We go through trials. We go through difficulties. What sees us through? It's our love for the Lord. It's our love for him. It's our faith. It's our belief 
And we've received salvation, of course, as we have accepted him as our savior. And one day we'll receive that completeness of it as he returns and makes everything new. And so as we wait for his return, what do we do? We just keep on growing. We keep on moving forward. We keep on being faithful. And church, this is the reality that needs, that we need to have in our hearts, that keeps our hearts and our minds focused on eternity. Things that keep us focused on the living hope, even when things seem hopeless in this world that we're in. The object of our faith makes a difference for how we go through trials. So here's for us today. If you're going through a challenging season of life, can I just encourage you today to remember God is in control? You say, that's so simple, pastor. Yeah, that's what we need. (laughs) We need simplicity. God is in control and he is using the difficulty that you're in. He is using the struggle that you are walking through, the challenges of life, and he's using them to build you up. So don't resist him. Don't try to find a way. We try to dodge and get away from everything. We want our life to be as simple and as easy and as smooth as possible. But listen, God may be trying to teach you something. He may be trying to strengthen you and build you up in a way that you never thought he would ever do. And he will use those trials and those difficulties. And I want you to today to have the mindset that I'm going to live in the strength of my salvation. I'm going to live in the joy of the fact that there is something beyond this world. And it's something that we can look forward to. It's Jesus Christ, our living hope. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. We really appreciate you joining in. You know, if today's sermon was a help to you, we'd ask that you maybe take a moment and just give us a quick rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever it is that you're listening. That really does help get the word out and for other people to find our content as well as connect into the word of God, which is really the most important thing to us. As well, we encourage you to, if you want any more information about City Baptist in Vancouver, you can check out our website at citybaptist.ca or follow us on social media through Facebook and Instagram. Our prayer is that you would continue to walk and grow with Christ. And we love you and we pray for you and we hope that you have a great rest of your day.